Welcome to Money Memoirs, a taboo-breaking interview series sharing intimately uncensored conversations about money. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, my year-long money school and global community. Join me as I connect with brave folks from all walks of life to explore their experiences with money from their greatest struggles to triumphant celebrations, to lessons learned, and unexpected discoveries along the way. These interviews are raw, heartfelt money stories. They're vulnerable, inspiring, and always authentic. These interviews are a snapshot of the personal connection and practical support you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps. And it blends together therapeutic body-based practices with so many real life tools that you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your money life. If you'd like to learn more, head to barrytesler.com. For now, get comfy and cozy for another intimately uncensored money memoir. Today, I have the honor of talking with Ricardo McRae, and here's a little bit of his official bio. So Ricardo is a trailblazer known for his commitment to business, creativity, and community champion. Ricardo is an award-winning entrepreneur and the co-founder of Wedge 15. The other co-founder is his wife. He fuses his unique mastery of fine arts, project management, and technology into momentum-building solutions that he designs for his clients. Deeply committed to community leadership, as well, Ricardo founded Canada's only digital platform for black excellence called Black in Canada. So that was how I've known Ricardo, and then I went to find his most updated bio and was so delightfully, pleasantly surprised. So I'm going to read that, and then we're going to dive in. So it says, today he's bringing creativity to life as the host of the Framing podcast on iTunes, and he's helping families across Canada as a licensed financial advisor. Prior, his most recent endeavors, Ricardo was the creative director of a boutique consultancy, Wedge 15, and the creator of BlackCanada.com, Canada's leading source of black excellence, reaching over 1 million people in 100 countries with 30,000 fans and followers. And you can find Ricardo at Wedge15.com. So I had no idea that Ricardo had <laughs> become a financial advisor, and I'm going to have him tell that story because I'm fascinated. And so you all know, you know, Ricardo and I met in the most lovely, wonderful of ways. It was probably four or five years ago. It was in New York City. It was at the conference Emerging Women where I was speaking. And as I was preparing, you know, to go in and give my very first talk, I looked over. There were these two really comfy chairs. Um, Ricardo was sitting in one. Um, I kind of sensed, is that a good place to go sit down and prepare? And it felt good and right, and something about him was um, felt good and interesting to me. And I sat down and um, to just calm myself and prepare for my talk. And Ricardo and I struck up a conversation because his wife was at the Emerging Women event. I don't know if he was. We'll find out. 
and um, we connected and then have just stayed in touch online for all these years and he's invited me to be on his podcast, the Framing Podcast. So he interviewed me, and now it's my turn to have the honor of you, to have the honor interview. I like that. I mix up words sometimes. The honor of getting to interview you, Ricardo. So welcome so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's always interesting to me when I hear someone like read a bio or talk about it. I'm just like, who is that person? You know, it's like someone else, but it's, uh, thank you for having me on. It's truly a pleasure and I am honored and humbled uh, to be able to share my life and the little I've got, I give it away. (laughs) Hopefully it helps people. So thank you you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So let's, before we dive into the Money Memoir questions, and before I hear more about you becoming a financial advisor, yeah, I'd love I'd love to hear a snapshot of your family, your work life right now. Let's start off with that, and then we'll dive into more about your personal relationship to money. I, I <laughs> my family. I'm currently leaning on a crib in my bedroom. This is a snapshot of my life. I am love it. Married. Uh, we have a beautiful son named Keon. He is about to be two uh, or 45. We're not sure which, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> he is incredible. Bundle of energy and joy. Uh, my wife and I've been married for five years. We've been together for six, and yeah, I'm an immigrant to Canada. Uh, born in the Caribbean. Grew up there until I was about 18, and then came to Canada as you know, a young adult, and have been everything from living on my own to working in corporate, doing technology sales, project management, entrepreneurship, art design. My degrees in fine arts and painting and sculpture, and most recently, financial services. which really came about in the most interesting way. It was after the birth of our son that we started looking at our life and everything we've built, and out of that, the pivot came to financial services. And uh, I've been loving it. It's been, oh, it's it's so good. It is so good. I'm having a ball with this and helping people with the thing that everyone uses and struggles with, most people. And it's truly an honor and a pleasure to be able to help people get a grasp uh, on their money and their life and change things. It's, it's. I look at it as changing generations because if yeah. <laughs> you know you change one person's habits, they pass that on. And like, I, I focus on. For me, my goal is really to change my grandchildren's lives. Like not like my son's sons and daughters. Yeah. And, all of that, like that's that's where my sort of sights are set. It's like that's how far out I'm planning and living for. So that's already that's one of my last questions that we'll be talking about is money, le- money legacy, and yeah. what that even means to you. Um, I, you know, I knew that you had studied, trained as an artist, that you were an artist, that you were helping folks with branding. Um, mm-hmm. if, I knew that you were helping folks with technology. I knew that you were <laughs> helping people in the online space. 
yeah. similar to the work that my husband does, but this pivot into financial services, financial being a financial planner advisor, just it it really blew my mind, and I don't know why, you know, mm. just because. Yeah. It, it, I I want to hear a little bit more um, because. Yeah, I once read a book about happiness, um, where we listened to it on tape in one of our road trips. And I remember it was it, this, the, the author went to Iceland, and he was talking about how in Iceland people can have five, six, seven different types of careers in their lives. Where mm-hmm. in America, or I would assume in Canada too, but maybe I'm wrong, yeah. we kind of think we need to have one career and stay on the same path, maybe two, you know, right. but not... Focus but, and just have it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so t- share a little bit more... I mean, I hear a bit that it was having a child and mm-hmm. that something opened inside of you that looked at your whole life and what's meaningful and your skill set. Can you share a little bit more about how this pivot happened? Uh, it, it, it happened or it happened to me or uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not sure, uh-huh. but it's like the, the prior life in branding, design, social media for 13 years. Uh, we did extremely well. Like we yeah. did projects all over the world, uh, speaking on national television, on TV shows, like best-selling books. My wife, you know, it's like we did well. Like it was absolutely nothing wrong with it. And when we had our kid, we were very public on social. So we share our lives, and this is what we're doing, and pregnancy, and you know, we're doing a home birth. Like we're sharing all of it uh, on our social. And the impact it had on our business was that it dried up to zero for 10 straight months. Okay. And hmm. as we are we're like, what's going on? Like we lost hundreds of thousands of dollars of projects, like coming in second consistently hmm. uh, because my wife was either pregnant or just had a baby because okay. we're business partners. So we'd go to the meetings and they're like, oh, you just had a baby. We're like, oh, it's great. They're like, so who's going to work on the project? I'm like, we both want to work on the project. Like, you don't need more motivation than a baby. <laughs> Like, this is, you know, we don't have other things we're doing. This was it. So this, the other people's concern impacted our lives mm. because they didn't think we could be focused and have a baby. And we thought it would be great. We, you know, we live here. We have him with us. We strap him on. I'm, you know, walking in the woods, whatever we're doing, and our baby's just with us. We take him to meetings. we speaking at conferences. Like, he's just there. And he's never a problem, but they have a problem the perception is the problem of you can't do both. You can't be a dad and focus on my brand. Mm. You can't be a mom. And, you know, and it's like in speaking to other women about this, it's like they get that sort of like that cap. You become, you start having a kid and then they put you on the mom track in your career and then they, they cap where you go in the company. So it's other people's perceptions actually limiting and impacting what was going on in Wedge. And after 10 months of, you know, having a baby and contract after contract going south, uh, we had to really look at what we built, uh, put massive ego and pride and public perception and, you know, people were like, you got to put all of that aside when you're actually looking into the eyes of your baby and yeah. your wife and the reality of, like, we've gone 10 months without a single contract. Like, what's going on? And... Had to just look at what we built and just said, look, let's slide it all aside, look at this, put it on the table, and what works, what doesn't work, what can we do? And uh, coincidentally met, just being open to it, met yeah. someone who introduced us 
uh, went found a little bit more, started talking about it, uh, got a little excited, a little interested, spent a few months researching, and then made the leap and went into it slowly in that transition uh, after realizing that people, because we can pivot fast, doesn't mean other people can as well, or they're so their perceptions don't pivot quickly. So we had to slowly drip this over a 12-month period of like, oh, learning about finances, you know, back to social, and sort of like started doing, you know, 80-20, then 60-40, and then slowly moving our social image and, and collateral into financial services and helping families over about a one-year period um, while we were getting license and training and learning like three, four days a week for a year. Got it. And so you're working on your own, or are you working for a company? I am both, actually. I'm with okay. a company and an independent. So okay. I'm, a, I'm actually opening up an office with five other teammates, uh, and we're branching out right across southern Ontario, and within a couple of years moving into the U.S., hopefully, fingers crossed. But, uh, yeah, so that's what we do. Wonderful. Wonderful. I love there's so much in there. I love that the you use the social to help you mirror and tell the story, you know, of this pivot along the way. That's what you know how to do so well, you know. Yeah, and, um, and that's what we're bringing into financial services because no one in this industry uses, most people don't use social or use it well or use it a lot at all because of compliance reasons and all of these. You know, it's like legally you can't say certain things or use the word guarantee. Uh, and lot, there's lots of things like that that uh, – have real consequences for people that use it in terms of huge fines and loss of license and things like this. So most people tend to stay away from it, but because we have this competitive advantage in knowing how to use it uh, from our Wedge 15 and life, we're dominating in this space by translating that experience and that skill set into uh, financial services. So we're growing at astronomical rates because of it. Wonderful. I'm sure you are because also folks who come from more of a traditional financial advisor or financial planner background, um, they, they so many are creative, but maybe they haven't accessed that part of them or that's not really how they see themselves. So mm-hmm. um, you guys, for you and your team to come from that background um, is such an advantage, you know, and it really is. Yeah. Really what is. makes you different okay. makes you special. If they keep it's, using it, it's, yeah. I know how to draw squares and circles better than anyone. So <laughs> I impressed them on the whiteboard. <laughs> it's also amazing too because this is real. You know, in a shifting yeah. world, in a shifting economy, in a shifting family dynamic. Right? We yeah. have to be on our toes. We have to learn. We have to be able to be resilient. We have to learn how to pivot. Um, one of the other women that I'm interviewing for the series, she talks about navigating through um, three different careers. And I'm so excited to talk with her about how she's done that. And at one point she was a yeah. single mom and she's not anymore. And um, So I love, it's just fascinating um, what, what you have stepped into. And also this is what was happening. It, it happens to the woman, I'm sure a lot, but to happen to the dad as well. Yeah. Um, in your profession, in your field, that's unusual. I, you know, that's Very. really unusual um, for you to be getting the same perception, you know, or the same um, projections from other people that somehow you've you've your dad now, so you can't be present. Yeah. 
with these but, projects. And yeah. the thing is, I am, I don't want to say I'm, I'm the type of father that's like wearing my kid. Like my wife had a cesarean. I was in a hospital for three days. Uh, she couldn't move or hold him. It was like a whole emergency thing. So I was literally in the hospital for three days, sleeping on a chair with my son on me the whole time because she couldn't hold him. And not because of that, but like, who else is going to do it? I'm, you know, it's my baby. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, it's it's pictures of that going out on social media. So it's people, yeah, they they see you with a baby and they, because they're uncomfortable with not knowing what to say or what to do, they pull back. And because they're afraid and they don't know, I don't know what to say. It's like when someone gets really ill, you're like, should I call? I don't want to disturb them. They may need it. Like, no, call them. Yes, yes. It's, it's, it's lean in in those moments where someone is going through something challenging. It's they actually need you to call. They actually need you to, I need you to actually give me your business right now. Like, right, right. I couldn't be more committed than holding a baby. Right. To making right. sure your project goes well. Like, there's, but people don't believe that children belong in business. That old adage of, oh, you, you know, be with your chill child and listen, man. It's, I, I always say this in our company. It's just like I'm always looking for women who are in a career and are now working from home with children. And and I call it working because it's actually work, not in a bad way, but like it's it's valuable work. It's not you know what I mean. So it's those women are a huge untapped resource in business because they have all the skill sets. On top of that, they're a parent juggling, multitasking, and handling more by eight a.m. than most people do all day. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like if people can understand that people can be more than one thing at the same time, it'll, it'll change the way we, we work and look at people and respect things. It's, can you be an artist and a financial advisor? I'm like, I, I think so. <laughs> it's been working well for me because the creativity and the natural way that I think outside of the box that I'm bringing to finance is not being creative like doing something illegal, but thinking of different ways of putting products together for people so that they win uh, is constantly shocking people in, when I'm training with them. They're just like, wow, I never thought of that. And, it's, and I'm like, and how could you not think of that? It's, it's yeah. very obvious, and it's obvious to me because I'm bringing, I'm translating a whole new skill set into this zone, and it's, I'm winning with it. Yes, yeah. We're going to talk about that in a moment, just the integration of the, so many different parts of yourself in two different fields, which... I feel I did as well, you know, by coming from my therapy mm-hmm. background and being a dancer and being more of a creative person and then brought it into the financial world. But I, for a moment I want to talk about, because you and I shared, um, it was different, but I also had an emergency C-section. Um, mm-hmm. After, you know, easy conception and wonderful pregnancy, and and then, you know, I yeah. always say on any journey, Hopefully we all get beautiful moments and easeful moments, and then we're going to have our challenging moments. We can't, that's life, right? We're all going to get challenging moments. I know women who had perfect home births, and then they had postpartum depression, you know, right after. And Mm -hmm. we all all get the beautiful and the challenging, right, in different moments. And so, you know, when you interviewed me, I shared the story of our labor and the challenges of it and that, you know, things did change in some way. I, I let go of an entire team and business mm-hmm. partner. And 
But what also happened in that time was that I asked new questions, like you were asking. And um, we're blissed out. You know, we're blissed out. I know you were. I was, you know, as a new parent. But also we were sleep deprived and things were changing and we did need to do things differently, you know. So it's interesting how people met you. Um, What I wound up doing was getting rid of, letting go of my whole team, and then instead of working 40, 60 hours a week, I said, what can I do in 10 hours a week? Um, What can I do the best, right? What do I love the most and what's the most lucrative? And I learned how to be way more productive in those 10 hours um, Mm -hmm. than I ever was, let's say, in 30 before. Or, you know, that's exaggerating, but... I and yeah, then it grew yeah. to you know fifteen and then twenty and I'm sure that was mm-hmm. similar to you. So yeah. just during that time things do change. You know we aren't the same as we were before and so it depends on what environment you're in. But it sounds like a lot of people didn't know how to approach what had happened to you. Um, it you know it was it was both a beautiful time but it also didn't go exactly as you planned and you you guys were really honest about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's uh, <laughs> it certainly didn't go. I mean, for the first part, pregnancy, all of that stuff, wonderful, flawless, like textbook. And the minute the birth started, it was like hard left. <laughs> we went from midwives and being at home and the whole thing. And, hmm. you know, three days later, we're in the hospital with C-section. And, you know, the, uh, it's just... I was like, okay, this is, you know, we're sitting there crying together, holding it, like the whole thing. And she's like, hey, did, did we try everything? I'm like, yes, we have to stop. We have yeah. to do what's best for our baby. Yeah. And she's like, okay. And then, you know, wheel right into the operating room from that. And then a whole, anyway, lots of stories about that whole experience. Yeah. And, <laughs> but it was, that's causing us to, to look at things differently. And then mm-hmm. holding this beautiful young man, uh, little human who's just here to soak things up and having us look at what do we what's worthy of passing on from my life because I don't I'm not egotistical enough to believe that everything I know or believe or experience is worth passing on so it's like what's going to matter the most for him so I started looking at my own life looking at our business like all of it like I'm going back to my grandfather my great grandfather I'm like what got passed on made a difference from one generation to the next. And given where he lives in his context, North America, he has iPad, he has, like, Internet in his pocket. I'm like, yeah, I remember when they made the Internet. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, yep. He's living in a whole different world. And what does he need moving forward? Because I've had experiences from abuse to being on welfare times to, you know, working five jobs to put myself through school. I'm like, he don't need that. But we're going to have to get that lesson in in a different or a new way given his life and his context. So I'm not trying to have him relive my experiences, but I want him to understand the lessons as he moves forward. So that's what I'm focusing on is what is the outcome that needs to happen and the way that it happens is, you know, going to unfold as we move. Yeah, so let's segue into your family and the positive and negative that you learned from them and who was raising you and where in the Caribbean did you grow up and share a bit about what did you learn about money and what was passed down 
to you, and and we'll go from there. Yeah, so please share right. a little bit about that. This is interesting. The was born in Guyana, South America. I was second of three kids to my parents' marriage. Um, my dad was wildly abusive, physically, emotionally. Um, my mom left, and uh, they got divorced. I was about nine. While we were living in Guyana, we were very well off. Uh, diplomats. My dad was a diplomat for the bauxite industry and going on trade missions around the world to China and Germany. And we had we hosted a party for 150 people in our house every Friday night. Um, that was just normal to be like, oh yeah, we, you know, we have maids and there's people serving food. That was just we just did that. That's what we did on a Friday night was have a party for 150 people in our home. And my mom was an architect and designed the house and. Five bedrooms, five toilets and baths. Like this is in 1960 in Guyana. Okay. Uh, we were doing well. Mm-hmm. So, dad's abusive. My mom grabs us in the middle of the night. We get to pick one toy and we leave. Wow. Wow. Uh, we go to the airport, jump on a plane. Now we're living in Trinidad. The next morning, um, she's now a single mom. You know, years of divorce, that whole thing, and now we're struggling because she's got three kids and just came back and started working again for the first time because they got married when she spoke before she really started working. So she has a job as a teacher, uh, making about $800 a month. We saw one of her old paychecks a couple of Christmases ago. I was like, how do you live with three kids at $800 a month? But that's what she had. So we grew up learning how to pinch and, okay, we're going to make bread. We don't buy bread. We can't afford that. So we'd have to buy flour and make bread. Um, We would, she would have to pawn our bracelet to learn so we can get gas money so she could drive to work. She was studying at school at night, so we had to make our own dinners at like 14, 13, 15. Uh, So she'd be picking, we'd come home from school and she would, go to class for six, so I would have to cook and make the family dinner. Uh, I loved cooking, wanted to be a chef at one point. I never thought any of this stuff was strange. It was just what we had to do. So we'd either be cutting the lawn, cooking dinner, or taking care of my little sister, Mia, who was a baby at the time, fourth kid. Um, And we just rotated, so everybody just did. So I never saw things like fixing the car or cutting grass or cooking food as a man or a woman's thing. It was just like, it needed to get done, you get it done. So all of us could change a battery in a car, (laughs) cook a meal, (laughs) or cut the lot. It's wonderful life uh, skills, wonderful real life skills, yeah. You know, it's it's what it was. And we learned, I learned about, I never thought things were bad because I had a great sense of self and a great sense of identity. my grandfather was an entrepreneur, it's like two, three generations deep, and I was being primed to take over the business of Trinidad. Okay. It was uh, just very, I, I saw that side of money, like he would do a service and get money, because I'd work in there and work the till, and I also saw my mom baking bread and pawning a bracelet to get gas money to drive us to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, then came to Canada when I was 18, uh, 
my dad is who he is, uh, within six months I'm like, I'm out. And I didn't want to be abused anymore or see people being abused. So in grade 11, I left home, went on welfare, and finished high school. So that was my can earliest you, experiences with money and seeing Can what, I ask you a question in there? Because um, yeah. it, it sounds like up until nine, there was a lot of money, right? There was, there was wealth yeah. there. There were parties. Yeah. There were, you know, people. Um, drivers, the whole thing, yeah. Drivers, right, maids, taking care of your family, making the meals. Then your mom left an abusive situation and then was taking care of you. And then you learned you learned really important things. And it sounds like that wasn't a, a big shock or upset or it sounds like that was – I want to hear more about that transition. And then where did your, fa- and then where did your father come in again? Um, mm-hmm. Was he separate? Was he not living in Trinidad? or Yeah, because you, you just started speaking about he, your father again. Yeah. Yes, sorry. He moved up okay. to Montreal, Canada. That's where he went to school. He went to McGill. Uh, so he came up to Canada after the divorce. Uh, we went to Trinidad, and he was just, you know, he'd have an awkward phone call on your birthday or at Christmas and send you 100 bucks, and that was maybe about it. He'd say, do you need shoes or do you need clothes? I'm like, uh, I need a shoe for school. He's like, okay. So he would buy that and send that, but he would never send money or support or and it was just like a birthday card that he bought and just wrote. He signed his name to it and mailed it to me. Like that was the only communication we really had. Mm. So it wasn't a note; it was his signature, like if like a post-it note. I was like, okay, that's kind of cold. But you know, he is who he is. Like that's that's a whole different podcast. Yeah, that's, <laughs> but, a, that's a whole he, different podcast. Is he still that's alive? A whole different is podcast. He, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still alive. Okay. Okay. He's still alive. Okay, I and he still is who he him. is? He still is who he is? Oh, yeah, 100%. Okay. Yeah, okay. So my dad, yeah, my dad, who was who he was, had a little shift the last few years of his life after mm. a very a very bad stroke that changed him. And then right. I was able to have a few years where he was different, and I got to say goodbye, you know? Awesome. Beautiful. So, yeah, so, okay, so your father is still in Canada, and now you, okay. Yeah, he lives in Canada, lives about... Maybe two hours away from me, a couple mm-hmm. hundred and fifty miles, I guess. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't visit or call or communicate mm-hmm. uh, by choice, not yeah. out of anger. It's just like I've tried, you know, I forgave him. Did la 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 la. I was like, yeah, dude, like, you no, <laughs> just not no. Sorry. Can Can I ask you a question? Did that uh, impact? your decision to have a child or not? Did you not want to have children for a while because of your father? or did, I did wanted you... to have kids all along. I'm like, I've always wanted to be a dad, mm. primarily because of how horribly he treated me as a mm. child. I'm like, I, I knew I wanted to be, a, like, 15 years old, I knew I wanted to be a dad. Mm. Uh, I started working as an entrepreneur because I'm like, I want to be there to pick my kids up from school, drop them off. I said, I'm going to be annoying to them. I'm going to be there so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I was like the young black kid on the swim team here in Canada, like captain of the swim team, winning medals, like statewide in swimming. I'm like, I'm the only black kid in the entire province of swimming, me and my sister. And he never came to a match. He never saw, he's never seen me swim. Mm, okay. And I'm like, 
dude, I'm like breaking mm-hmm. records, and I'm the captain of the swimming team yeah. in 1980. Yeah. And I don't understand what you're doing that you can't. I'm like, hey, it's going to be next week. We have this tournament. It's, you know, it's the national champions. And, you know, I, I should win. Like, And I remember, Barry, you're going to have me crying here. Hmm. The I remember finishing, it was a 50-meter butterfly. It's just like one of the hardest strokes to do. So I win in convincing fashion by like five or six body lengths. And I remember touching that wall and looking up for him. And he wasn't there. And, yeah, that, I don't want my son to feel that. Yeah. Like, that's not worthy of passing on. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's, is it an experience? Does it shape me? Yes. I'm like, ah, I'm going to find a different way to pass on whatever lesson I got from that. That's not required. Yeah. Uh, So... I'm there a lot. I'm picking him up every day. Yeah. Dada, the hugs, and he pushes me away sometimes as soon as his mom gets there. And I'm like, okay, I love you. And you're going to be with your mom. And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. That's going to go back and, and forth. There's going to be all going to be about daddy. You're supposed to like, love your mom more than you love me right now. And I'm like, I get that. Yeah. I'm like, I still tell him I love him. And I sit there and I, mm-hmm. you know, I would even ask him for a hug. I'd be like, can daddy have a hug? Because I never want to assume that because I'm bigger than you, I can just take from you whatever I want. And I'm like, I want a hug. <laughs> and he does. You know what I mean? I'm not saying like he doesn't hug me. He does. But I will always ask. I'll be like, can Daddy have a hug? And he'd be like, yes. And he comes over and he gives me a beautiful hug, and I love it. And I'm like, and he'd run off and play and do his thing, but I never want to have him feel like he is not in control of his love or his body or what he does with it. It is his and he gets to control. Mm. And he's not going to let him play in traffic because he wants to or eat cookies. Right. But right. He, 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 you know, there's stages in here. It's like right now you're going to eat your broccoli and, you know, I'll ask you for a hug. Right. Beautiful. To balance this out a bit, tell us a little bit about your mom. Is she still alive? And Very much so. I'm going to see her tomorrow, actually, for three minutes. I'm going to drive 12 <laughs> hours, do some business, give my mom a hug, have some bread. <laughs> Why so the, um, quick? <laughs> no, we're going in. We're going there to, to to do some business. My teammate and I are going out there, and we have another meeting the next day at eight a.m. So we're just driving four hours one way, do the business for three, and drive back. But the my mama is like my best friend. My mom is an incredible angel <laughs> of forgiveness for people that. I cannot understand, uh, and she's a blessing. She is just open, warm. She, I mean, she gave up her teaching career when we left home at 18 when we came up with my dad, and she, like, just resigned, left everything, and came up here to live and, like, started over again. So I saw the impact that that had on her finances, and now she's retired and, you know, still needs to work a little bit, and it's... Uh, she she came up here and was working with uh, mentally challenged people. Like they'd have a home and she'd be one of the care workers. So she works with them that way. But she's also a teacher for 25 years and an architect. Okay. But that doesn't translate into Canada from the Caribbean. Okay. 
because you need to get quote unquote Canadian experience and the years it would take to get that to get you know it was just like listen we got to eat so she had to do what she had to do mm-hmm. so that's a big part of my drive is to you know make sure my mom's comfortable okay okay so in a nutshell what money lessons would you say you learned from both of them mm-hmm. and and also just you're starting to share the impact of she has had really meaningful work um, mm-hmm. and she's had to focus sometimes just on getting you all fed. Yeah. 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 Doing what you have to until you do what you want to. Mm-hmm. It's lessons I learned from my dad. The initial lesson I learned was that when you have money, you are abusive and you're bad. So I ran from money for most of my life. Okay. Okay. That if once you have power, once you have yada, 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 it means that I'm going to become that guy. So even though I was striving for money, I would never allow myself to keep it. And I had great jobs making six figures, like all that stuff, and like just constantly struggling with money. It didn't matter how much I made uh, until I started to fix that to realize that, no, that's just him. I am a different person. I will make different choices. I want to separated or distinguished the difference between those two stories or what, make, what I made that money mean and the whole thing, uh, it started to have a change in my life. You know, when I started looking at my son, I'm like, what do you pass on? What, did, what, what are my beliefs around money and wealth? And, and really digging through that stuff and, you know, a couple of therapy sessions <laughs> and the whole deal to actually uncover that to, to start dealing with it uh, from my mom. I learned uh, that it'll be all right, even if it's hard. Mm. Uh, sometimes you have to do things you don't want to do and bake the bread instead of buying the bread. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, if you're alive, the game's not over. Mm. Like, let's go. And uh, that doing what you have to, uh, I learned from my mom. Like, she is... Like she was up stringing Christmas lights on the house up until a couple of years ago. I'm like, Hazel, you're 70 years old. You don't need to climb a ladder. <laughs> like, she goes, yeah, but I need the light. I'm like, could you call someone? Like, call me. I'm like, hmm. I'll get someone to come over and put your lights up. But she's the 70-year-old to be putting lights on her house because she goes, it looks nice. I'm like, mm-hmm. we're going to go and get you some laser lights that you just put on the lawn, and it'll project. So she's doing that now. <laughs> and she so likes she likes to do it herself. She likes to be independent, and she, you know, that's it. Sounds important to her as Very well, important. you know. And <laughs> she to is. be able to do that in her seventies to be climbing a ladder, <laughs> wonderful. But it's a little dangerous, you know. It's a little dangerous. At this <laughs> a little point. bit. I'm like, yeah. I can't fill out a police report telling them that you were had my seventy year old mom putting up Christmas lights. Like it's <laughs> right. You need. To, we, you need we, to we have a very frank. Things. Yeah, we have a very frank, open, honest relationship, so we talk and laugh about this type of stuff. And, uh, she is very independent. <laughs> and now has Christmas lights to plug in on the ground. Very good, very good. So, And that's part of your larger legacy as well, is looking at your son's sons and sons, you know, and the legacy mm-hmm. in that direction. But mm-hmm. it's also giving back to her and supporting her in her later years as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dignity. I I think uh there's great 
dignity and pride in when you're able to be self-sufficient. And I don't want to do things for my son or do things for my mom. I would rather be the platform that they use to get what they need. So I'm like, do you need lights, mom? I'm like, let's make, let's go get you some lights. Like, let's go pick something out. But I'm not going to say that you shouldn't be climbing a ladder. I'm like, although I did say that. <laughs> but I'm not going to take that away from her. I'm going to talk to her about it and have her choose to do something else. I say, look, I, I'm really concerned. And because I am afraid, I'd like you to stop it. Will you stop it? Yes, yes. Like, she has to choose this. It is not, if she wants to climb the ladder, I'm like, I'm off to get her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're going to work on that and make sure that is as safe as it can be, but it's not, yeah, I'm not here to push you around. I'm here to give you options. And that's going to be, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, it's the same thing with my son. It's like, mm-hmm. it's the same thing in my business. I'm, I'm not here to tell people how to do things. I'm here to educate you, and you will choose. And if I've yeah. done a good job, you'll make the choices that I think you should make. <laughs> but I need you to make those choices and know why you're making those choices so that they stick. But if I just tell you what to do and you're doing it, and you're like, I guess it's the right thing to do to put the money here and put 10%. percent like, oh, Ricardo said it was good. But if you don't know why you're doing it, it's not going to make a difference for you because you can't teach anyone, your children, your family, your friends, how to do that. Yes, and that you know that's gonna, that's the challenge of how do we teach and how do we teach well, right? And this mm-hmm. is going to come up more. Your son's two. Wait till he's three and four and five and six. You mm-hmm. know, my son's nine, and all along the way, it's um, how do we empower him? And yet, they are getting the newest technology. They are getting things. You know, they are. Yeah. And also, how do we teach them the life skills? Um, that they need. So that's an ongoing thing, you know, that we're that we're working on. Let's segue into a few of the things about your relationship to money um, and some stories. So I want to hear, in general, just what is the what are the main emotions that come up for you around money? So is there mm. one emotion? Is there a combination? Is there a cocktail of emotions? And it's I'm, a it's cocktail. This is a cocktail. cocktail. I know. I know. Is there is there one? Is there a few? And it's also what are they now? And they, you know, five years ago, maybe that's when yeah. you really started looking at your money stories and things started changing, or even ten years ago or growing up. So, and you did share a little bit about this. Um, but yeah, please, please, please say more about yeah. this. It's, it, it has changed over the years. I've uh, always been had this sort of entrepreneurial bone in my body and have made lots of money at times uh, and I've gone lots of times without money. So I'm like, I've, my thoughts were like, why doesn't it stay? has been this sort of pervasive feeling. Like, why can't I keep it? What is, you know, it's like, okay, you know, you have X amount in your bank account this month and I'm like, woohoo, got and a few months later, you're like, damn, like, can we pay that cable bill? And I'm like, how do we go from six figures to not paying my cable bill in months? And there's no real change in my life. Like, I didn't, you know, I don't have a drug habit. <laughs> I'm not gambling. Like, what happened to that? And, like, why is that happening? And, you know, started reading, looking at books. I'm sorry, reading books, listening to podcasts, and therapy and all of it, and just really asking myself the questions and you know wife and I will do some introspection and just sort of what's going on why do we believe why is my money 
coming and going? Why doesn't it stay here? Yeah. And it, it's fundamentally around my belief that, you know, again, un- uncollapsing that experience with my dad as a very young kid uh, and associating lots of money and power with abuse. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, That's I am not that guy, so I will never have that money. Okay. So or you will I, have it, I, you will have it, but you will get right. rid of it as fast as you can, right? Right, you won't right, keep because it, you I'm won't not that guy. It. I want to let it go. Right, it'll flow yeah. through me, but I'm not going to hold on to it and pile it up. Right. So until I start doing that, until I uncollapse that, it didn't change. And that realization, uh, along with having a son and just saying, whew, it's nothing like a child to have you look at your life. Yeah. And the, the beauty of that. Like, really look at your life. Like, not just as, oh, let me be introspective. Like, this is it. Like, you look like me. You have my fingernails. Yes. Like, mm. what do you need? And then I have, like, what do I have to contribute? And it's just, whoo, in a very real way because everything he's he's about to do in with his life is going to be because of me. And then I started looking at my grandfather. I'm like, what did you do to support me in my life? And, my dad and I'm like, okay, he he showed up a couple times and my grandfather didn't believe in insurance and they had a store and it burnt down and I'm like, how would my life be different if my grandfather had insurance? Yeah. Back in nineteen twenty four. Like you know what I mean? Like okay. that choice that he made is impacting my life today and my son's life. So yeah. I started seeing my decisions that way, saying the decisions I make today will impact my grandchildren or my great grandchildren. So this is why I'm saying I'm looking that far out to say, I want to have something for you. I want you to think of me and smile. Who was who 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 Rico? Who's Daddy Rico? You know what I mean? Like, what did he do that, that made my life easier? And can you, under, can you, as you're starting to look back at your lineage and starting to look at your father more, your mother more, your grandfather, mm-hmm. do you understand who, who your grandfather was and the time he was living in and where he was living? Mm-hmm. Can you understand why he didn't believe in insurance at that time, or do you just see, um, yeah? What have you What have you learned by looking back at my grandfather know? is an awesome, charming, six foot two, uh, you know, wearing his wing tips and walking five ten miles a day, and lived until ninety five, and was like, got married seven times, each time to a wife younger than the last, and he was a charming, gregarious stylish dude with like patterned shirts <laughs> in nineteen twenty and you know, the Elvis glasses, the whole like he was a character. Yeah. And he didn't believe in insurance because I have I'd be making up a story if I told you why I, I have no idea. He had a friend that owned an insurance company. Mm. Came to him many times and said, Dude, you need insurance? He's like, No, nah, I don't believe in it. Okay. okay. Don't know why. But he just didn't. And his store ended up burning to the ground in a fire in Trinidad years ago and had nothing. Like, it was just gone. And that was a three-generation business at that point. Just gone. So he had to start from scratch. So I'm seeing the impact of starting over. Yeah. And I see my mom starting over, mm-hmm. coming to Canada, starting over leave home at 17, starting over. I left with two garbage bags. That's all I had. And then I would do a job for a while, and then I'd start over, and then I'd move somewhere. And I'd, like, it's 
I see the impact of that. Like when you just, ah, I'll just start over. I'm like, hang on. <laughs> we need to repurpose our life, not just keep starting over. Like it's not like I'm taking my creativity from branding and design and I'm not starting over in financial services. I'm translating it to financial services. Yes. Yeah. So it's not a zero-sum game. It's like I'm taking all of those things and I'm like going to build on top of it because it has value. Just because it's in a new era or zone doesn't mean it doesn't apply. I'm like, I'm going to make it apply. You're also building or you're you're deepening your roots mm-hmm. and you're thinking about and planning for the future unlike you ever have before. So it's it's deepening the roots, being in present, and also planning for the future. And you're adding all of these parts in now that the pattern was in the past, you would keep starting over or lots of money would come in and then it would be spent or you would let go of it quickly. And you need to really see where that pattern comes from, which you've been doing. And Mm -hmm. now you're starting to... Um, see past and future and legacy all differently. So tell us more of what you are putting into place that's totally different than, and, you know, being in financial services, it's like we got to yeah. walk our talk. we got to walk our talk. And <laughs> I've, I've got to eat the food. This is, this is what I'm saying. we got to. I'm like, it, yeah. it's absolutely. The integrity of that is important. Yeah. I can't teach people something and not do it myself. So I have... We both set up accounts to pay ourselves first, yeah. and we have an unbelievable amount of life insurance. Okay. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. So not only my son has life insurance. Wow. And he has never, a type of insurance. I've never heard of that. Really? Oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Like, yeah. We should talk. It's 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 critical for wealth transfer, because that money will take care of his children. Because if he has a life insurance policy that has an investment portion and the investment portion will grow between now and when he's 25 to the point where it will continue to pay for itself, so he won't have to pay for it, but he will still have it and it will continue to grow and it will have a cash value that he can then use during his lifetime and the death benefit will go to his family, wife, husband, whoever it is, and their family. Interesting. Interesting. So it's one, two generations out being handled like that, and it's like I'm able to add extra money into it so the investment grows faster and it grows, so he'll have access to, like if we do nothing, he'll have access to at, you know, just shy of $200,000 before he's 30. And will you have any conditions? I don't have any judgment either way. I'm just curious. Yeah. You know, will he have conditions? Conditions on it? Yeah. Uh, no. And how, no, okay. That, that little mm-hmm. bit would be for him, and, and he can make choices in his life. Uh, hopefully he will learn a bit from daddy and mommy, from our habits, not our stories, but what we're actually doing ourselves. Because yeah. we do the same thing for ourselves so that when we pass, we also give him something as well. So we've set it up like one, two, three already. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I've already taken care of grandkids and he's two. <laughs> and I'm like, I feel good about that. You know, and I hope he doesn't have a lot of kids because we got to get more. You know? <laughs> but this is... So if, com- Go ahead. This is so different than. Oh yeah. Yeah. How it's, you? It's, yeah. Go ahead. Then, then what has happened in the past? It, yeah. You know what has happened has happened, and it, it. I am here, and I'm grateful. And 
it's my it's my at bat, so I've got to do what I got to do, and I got to do my best with what I know. And now that I know different, I'm doing different. Okay. And I have forgiven myself, and I've forgiven. Like I'm not bitter at all about any of it. I'm just like, I was, you know, whew, it would be different if they had done this. And guess what? In the Caribbean in 1960 and 70, this was not a conversation. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of how much money you had, like it, you know. So it's in understanding the whole industry, and then. I was like, when did insurance, when was that invented? Like, when did that start, you know, figuring that stuff out? And what was, you know, it was like in England when they had a huge fire that burned half of England down after that insurance started to become popular kind of thing. Back in 18 or whatever it is, 1850s or whatever there was. And I was just like, okay. And then just seeing how that has been used for hundreds of years to transfer wealth in usually the business class and upper class from one generation to next because anything that you get from an insurance payout is tax free. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful so way. You know, it's like yeah. I it's love so that you're going into the history of this and you're finding out like how did this come to be? You know, I know for our little family that getting life insurance in the last few years and then increasing the amount um mm-hmm. has been it's incredible. It's an incredible feeling um, to mm-hmm. know we have this in place because, um, you know, we also – I have to walk my talk, but also every year I'm fine-tuning and updating. I, I don't yep. have everything in place, everything yet. You know, even though I've been doing this work for years, every year I ask, what what next steps can I take? What am I ready for? You know, and then I do new things every year. But when this happened, it it was a significant piece as far as – you know, thinking about the future, planning for the future, mm-hmm. um, being able to take care of our child or, you know, God forbid if either of us do die, you know, for, for either of us to have the grief time and so on, you know. You got it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it's having those conversations of how much time do you think you'll need to grieve? How long before you, like, what? You know, yeah. <laughs> of course, I was grieving far longer than my wife was grieving. She was oh, at least a year. And then I'm, I was like, a year? I'm like, what? I am not worth more than that. Like, we joked about it. But it was. But those are really good and important conversations to have, and we really don't know. Like, obviously, we really ultimately don't know how we're going to be or what's going to happen on the other side. We never know. We don't know. You've got to have the conversation with a bit of levity and a bit of honesty as well. But have the conversation. For sure, have the conversation. Um, Yeah. So let me ask you, go ahead. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. Go yeah. <laughs> so the, the the you know we've set those things up for him, and really, it's for one of the first times ever. I feel like a real adult. Like, like I'm actually like and this you're is what 40s, adults do. Right? Yeah. Aren't you in your forties, hitting your almost in my fifties? I know. Me too. Me too. Forty-eight. <laughs> me too. Real. 48. Me too. So you know, and, this is uh, you had your first child in your forties. Me, I had my first child yeah. at forty or you're getting this all set up in your 40s, and I love that you were sharing that you needed to do some forgiveness work for who you were, you know, and mm-hmm. um, back in the day, and that you didn't have this set up. You didn't even know about some of these things or all of these things, and now you right. do, and you're really, and this is you're doing this all in your 40s, and it's wonderful. You know, it's wonderful that you're doing it now. Um, <clears throat> so here's another question for you. You've you've alluded mm. to many different moments where there were ups and downs, where your family had money, then it lost money, or your mom left 
your father and started out on your own and what would you say was a really huge challenging money experience that you went through that you had to overcome and how did you overcome it have you already told this story or is there another one yeah oh i'm sure there's more than one <laughs> there is uh th- i mean i told you about the last one that we went through with you know 10 months without a client yes uh, yeah and a baby and then just like burning through savings and racking up debt uh because of that uh another pivotal moment would be when I was about 19, I was renting an apartment, me and my best friend, and uh, we were on welfare. Like, it was, we'd lost jobs, and it was just like a rough, really rough time. And we didn't have food for a week. And when I say we had no food, I mean we had no food. We had one onion for a week for two of us to live on. Uh we didn't have like the ketchup packets, like all that stuff was gone already. Like we literally had an onion, and we would slice this onion, and then just throw it in a dry frying pan because we didn't have oil, and we just kind of roast it for a few seconds and eat the outside ring or inside ring. And we would alternate back and forth. That's all we had to eat for a week, one onion. And I remember one day we were just like trying to conserve energy and just lie down and drink water and just like just stupid, stupid things. And then he looked over one day and he said, dude, one day this is going to be funny. Said, mm. But it's not funny now. Mm. And we laughed for must have been like hours <laughs> after that. <laughs> I, said, yeah, it, I mean, that to me solidified that, you know, even when things are horrible and like that horrible where you're not eating in North America, yeah. I'm like, it's going to be all right. I'm like, my, what I knew in that moment was this. If I'm alive, I can do something to fix this. And if I die, it solves all my problems. So it's not really that bad. And that's a 19-year-old, right, saying that, right? That's not a – Yeah. That's not – did you consider going to homeless shelters and getting food? Did you – Nope. No. No. <laughs> no, Pride. Pride, pride had me hungry okay. there for a week. But you were you were nineteen. You were nineteen. So you yeah. can you can ride on some pride, you know, at nineteen years old. And at nineteen I still got, you know, all the vitamins okay. from when I was a baby still in my system. But at forty eight I'm like, You need to go get some food, but you know, you need okay. you know, you've used that up. So it's at nineteen you're in a different physical condition and able to withstand certain things where we you know, we could live on an onion for a week and just you know, it'll be a bad experience, but now it's not even new. Did you get a job learned, like later, or did you get a paycheck, or what happened? What? Yeah, we ended up walking to the welfare office and got okay. a check, and didn't okay. get evicted, and like the whole thing. Like it, it obviously worked out. It worked. But out. it was the knowing that if I can open my eyes, I can do something. Even okay. when I think I can't do anything, I can do something. Yeah. And I learned yeah. about just being in action when. In, in those moments, it's like, don't just sit and think. Yeah. Walk to the welfare office. I know you don't have bus fare, dude. Like, it was like a good three, four-mile walk, but we walked, filled out the paperwork. <laughs> you know, we got a check. Yeah. We had yeah. to walk back home. Yeah. <laughs> and then walk back again to get the check. Like, yeah. go to the pay phone, call them. Is it ready? Okay, click. I'll call you tomorrow. I don't have a phone. Click. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. that. Like, do something. Do something, so, yeah. So, really... Being in action, like, okay. 
not having the answers, but really taking an action. And like okay. the, the solution shows up when you yeah. move. Yeah, and I it's similar. I, I learned from my father. It was tough lessons. He made me work at 15, and he would, like, mm-hmm. send me out for the weekend and say, go apply to five different jobs and come back and report back and then pick one, you know. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't even know how to apply. Or what if I, I you what know, does that can mean? I, yeah. what does that even mean? Or I don't even know how to get a job that I like. I don't even know what I like. I don't even know what I want to do. What Do you have to just do something, you know, and I – I learned how to just get a job, you know, at that time. And then I think that forced right. me later on to, one, just get jobs when I needed them, when I needed to eat um, in my 20s. But also at some point I had unravel that or entangle that and then realize, oh, actually, I want to do work that I love, you know. And then mm-hmm. I'm good at based on my skill set. Mm-hmm. But for a while it was just taking action to eat, you know. And that that, that was a good thing at the time that I knew how to do. And then at some point I wanted more, Right. Um, right. So how how did that translate? So here you are. You you and I also had similar. It was different when we had our son, but we had similar. Yeah. Your wife and I had a similar complication, different issue, but you know we had to have a C-section, and then we were in recovery, and um, our family also had to really simplify our finances and go into savings, you know, mm-hmm. and then you mm-hmm. use a 0% credit card. That's a beautiful way um, to put it. We have to simplify our finances. We have to simplify. <laughs> we were forced to, right, because that's, you know, <laughs> but it was, this, right? <laughs> we had to, you know, because also yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't work those long hours. I mean, and I let go of my yeah. team. So, and also for, I chose that, but for you, you know, it was that things dried up. It, it, it's the it same thing. Me. It's like, it's the same thing, right? It shows you. Yeah. And in life, we get both. And so that was a rough time. And I remember even talking with you a year ago. I think you guys were at the tail end or in that. Yeah. And in that, it's uncomfortable. It's awkward. It, You know, we have to tell ourselves we are in a transition. We won't be here forever. This is an ebb in our lives. We're going to get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like you're fully through it right now? Do you feel – because it took a few years to come out of it, you know, and then hit mm-hmm. – sustainable income again and i also think by having a simplified phase you know where we're forced into that we choose that a few years down the road we actually can learn you know how to leverage and make more money and we learn how to be as i was saying more productive in those smaller amount of hours right because we want to be with the family so much so where are you are you just in the year out of that uh yeah in a year out of it and and, uh running super fast like okay. crazy uh we have mm-hmm. uh yeah we've we've we really turned the corner I'm like literally okay. with a team opening up an office mm-hmm. uh next month in okay. Mississauga which is about 35 a suburb of Toronto and you know 4000 square feet and things on fire and our team has grown right across the province and it's 50 people and like it's a whole thing now and I'm like whoa and bought a car for the first time in decades because we lived downtown. We never needed a car. And I was at the office and going back and forth and renting cars every day, and it's like four or five hundred bucks a month. And I'm like, I can't keep this up. I got a baby to feed, you know? And I'm in my office talking to one of the directors, and I'm like, man, I was like, I, 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 I'm about to go crazy in this business, and, and I have to start renting more cars, and I can't maintain that expense. He's like, why don't you just buy a car? I went, what? It, it hadn't crossed my mind to buy the car or I thought I would need all kinds of other things. He said, yeah, just go down to the dealership. They have zero down and get a car. And I went, well, you don't have to make my problem seem so insignificant, man. I'm crying about this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a three-second solution. 
know. So it was noon and at four o'clock I was at the dealership test driving a car and I'm shaking my head going, I can't believe I'm driving a car. I was like, Yeah, take it on the highway. He's like, What do you think? Do you want it? I'm like, Yeah, I guess so. I'm like he's like, Are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I just I haven't I didn't think I was that guy to be out test driving a car and like a week later I had a brand new car. And so so let's like, let's pause here for a second. So I want to know what you had in place. So number one, did you start working for the company first and get a steady paycheck from them? Is that and then you started moving more into creating your own thing? Because I know my husband took a job. You know he he goes yeah. in and out of doing his own thing, and then working for other people. And there was a moment I think oh no our son was one, and mm-hmm. um, Forrest had been growing his own thing for a year, and maybe it was a year and a half. Yeah, I think it was Noah was a year and a half, and he took a job, you know. And that steady paycheck was so incredibly helpful for our family during that time, and that was a turning of the corner um, just as a family unit. And so is that what started to happen for you? Is that what was Exactly what. Well, pretty much what happens. Uh, My wife and I had uh, the uh, Oprah, to quote Oprah, the come to Jesus moment, we sit down, we're like, look, <laughs> we've got to do something. So we were looking at Wedge 15, said we can't continue to, like, wait for that whale or fish to come in. We have to get jobs. So yeah. we switched our resumes, changed our LinkedIn, uh, really tried to dial our social presence back as much as possible, uh, and started applying for jobs. Mm-hmm. We said the first person to get a job at this number, because we can't get a job at, okay. you know, below a certain number, and it was – so we figured out what that number was. We're like, anything below that is just an automatic no, but anything above that, we're going to have to seriously consider it. First person to get the job does that. The other person continues in Wedge 15 and building a business. We're like, okay. agreed. We started applying. She got the job first. It was ah. for more than we needed. It was actually like a godsend <laughs> of like, do exactly what you're doing in Wedge 15, except we're going to pay you this lovely salary. And we're like, with all these okay. benefits and all this stuff, and we're like, yes, thank you, please. <laughs> So she started doing that a year ago, just over a year now, probably 13 months. And that really allowed us to level off again and get a handle on life because that settled the water, so to speak. And then I started really going doubling down in the business for a little while and then then pivoted into financial services and started that part-time while I got licensed and trained and, you know, months of that and – then uh, in August of last year, of this year, it's 2017, yeah, in August of 2017, just put it in, we just shut Wedge down and just went all into financial services, and it's just been a rocket ship since that point. But Amazing. without her, her, her leveling with that salary, uh, it would not have happened. So the goal but- is to have this grown within the next 12 months, have her, you know, come into the business and join. Okay. So it was a come-to-Jesus moment for both of you, you know, as entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and, to ha- and to have that in your blood for both of you and to be, you know, husband and wife entrepreneurs and, like, everyone yeah. knowing, you know, all of your social media presence and everything for yeah. years working towards this. And then you have a beautiful child and and then things shift for you, right? You mm-hmm. planned and then things happened, which is that's life. We plan a lot and lots of things that we mm-hmm. plan happen and then also things happen to us and that happened and you guys sat down and you didn't say, 
you know, jobs beneath me, working for someone's beneath me, blah, blah, you know, all this stuff you said. Well, I did initially because I'm like, <laughs> how can I do that? I have been an entrepreneur. I've been, like, coaching entrepreneurs. Like, how can I go get a job now? My wife has written a best-selling book called Be Your Own Boss. Like, now we have jobs. Like, identity? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's like a <laughs> – I, I was like, who do I talk to about? And I can't talk to someone who has a job. They're going to be like, just take a job. I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is – so I spoke to this friend of mine who I met actually online, never met him in person, but he was an entrepreneur in Atlanta and got on the phone. I was like, dude, you're the only person I could talk to about this because you understand, you know, you had a branding business in Atlanta doing well and the whole thing. And I'm like, here's what's going on, blah, 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 blah. Is there something I'm missing? Like, what's going on? He just said, listen, Ricardo, it's like sometimes you have to do the things you don't want to do or you don't, you have sometimes you have to do the things you don't think you can do. Okay. He's like, you need to feed your family, and you need to do whatever it takes. He said, anybody who tells you that or looks down on you because of that is not your friend. Hmm. Went, okay. So it wasn't, do, sometimes you have to do something that you don't want to do, which is an old message that was a good message from yeah. your mom, and that was helpful for some time. This was, right. you don't, sometimes you have to do things that you don't think that you can do, right? Yes. Yeah, that's different. It's a different twist. Right. It's a whole, it was just like, mm. okay, that, that, that hit my soul <laughs> differently. And I went, yeah, I don't think I could do this. He's like, yeah, that's exactly what you have to do. Mm. You got to do what it takes to feed your family. Yes. I'm like, okay. I said, okay. I posted about it on Instagram. <laughs> I wrote that down. I was like, dude, today's the day. And then like from that moment, uh, really started applying for jobs and going to full out and then the rest of that story unfolds but it was that was the the phrase you have to do the things you don't think you can do Mm. beautiful whoever said that thank you right whoever said that you knew going to them it was a former it was one of the u.s presidents i think it was eleanor roosevelt or something like this that said that i have it mentioned on my instagram somewhere like I'll take it up and I can send it to you. But it was, yeah, that was the, those are the words. Yeah. Yeah, but you chose the right person to go to, you know. Um, yes. So, so I want to move towards completing, and so much has been shared. And before we complete, I want to know if there's anything else that you would want to share about your money story, about the journey about what money legacy means to you before we complete today, knowing that there's so much more. And this is really um, just a beginning conversation of so much, but is there anything else that you don't want to leave this conversation without sharing or conveying? Or that would be helpful mm. for you. Or that would be helpful <laughs> for you. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not too late. Mm. And it doesn't matter how far down a road you've gone, you can turn around. Mm. To quote Gil Scott Harrop, you can always turn around. I'm like, I'm 48. I'm turning around. And most people would say it's too late. You've gone way past where you should. You know, you can't make it. It's not going to happen. And I'm turning around. (laughs) Because just because I made a mistake, quote unquote, doesn't mean I have to keep making it. Yeah. Hmm. Ricardo, thank you. 
so much for your honesty, your openness, your bravery. Thank you so much for all the stories that you shared. I know it is going to be so helpful and supportive for everyone who listens. It was really an honor to have you today. Thank you. Thank you for joining me with this Money Memoir interview. I really hope you found something here to take with you, whether it was a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps, and blends therapeutic, body-based practices with real-life tools that we all need to create healthy, sustainable change in our money lives. So if you'd like to begin your money healing journey with the Art of Money today, learn more at barrytesler.com.